Hey, 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 hey. Hello and welcome to the Film Pigs podcast, our eighth podcast. Number eight. It's number eight. Lucky number eight. Yes, I'm your host, Steve Skelton. I'm, I'm Stephen Falk. I'm television's Todd Robert Anderson. And we're the Film Pigs, where we discuss movies and all things movies related in a podcast no one has ever thought of doing before. <laughs> I bet when people hear that music, they get so excited. Oh, it's so exciting! Oh, so those exciting. guys are going to talk about movies. They roll up their car window, <laughs> turn off the AC, hold so it aside. <laughs> In case they're laughing so hard, they crash. And if that gets them excited, this will get them even more excited what? because we always start with a movie news. Movie news! It's exciting! It's exciting movie news, news from about the, the world of the movie. No one's ever thought to use news as a jumping off point for conversation. Get out. TV's Todd Robert Anderson, what do you have for us in movie news? Oh, my movie news item this uh, podcast is uh, the Los Angeles Film Festival will open this this uh, coming year with Richard Linkletter's Bernie, starring Jack Black, Shirley MacLaine, and Matthew McConaughey. The reason why I find this interesting is what little I could learn about what the movie's about. Jack Black plays a mortician that kills a wealthy widow and then goes to great lengths to create the illusion that she is still alive. So my question is, is this a loose remake of Weekend at Bernie's? Is it a reboot? Is it a reimagination? I think it's all those things and more. It's Shirley MacLaine filling the dead shoes of Terry Kaiser. (laughs) I'm very excited to know. Actually, what I really want to know is Matthew McConaughey going to be shirtless. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I'm trying to find an angle uh, <laughs> to the story that I'm ex- I can use the word excited about. <laughs> about a Jack Black movie, and I can't think of one. It's a mm. Jack Black mumblecore weekend at Bernie's mm. thing. That sounds horrible. Yeah, that, that's a... Yeah, yeah. Oh, boy. Stephen Fuller. Uh Well, yeah, uh, so... <laughs> My piece of movie news is, is slightly old news, but uh, Bridesmaids came out last weekend, not this past weekend, but a week and, week and a half ago, and it made a lot of money, opening weekend, Whee! and everyone was sort of, you know, waiting to see if, if a, a, a movie top-lined by six ladies could, uh, could you know, and no big male stars could uh, make a hit at the box office, and it did. And Which um, is amazing, because it opened up against Priest. <laughs> Who would have thunk it? Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I just thought it was, uh, I kind of think it's a good thing. Um, but uh, do you guys think it's going to be a trend? I mean, there's all, you know, every once in a while there'll be a movie like that hits a new quote unquote, because it's not demographic. Like I remember when First Wives Club opened and made a hundred million at the, at the domestic box office. Everyone was like, holy shit, there's a, you know, older women are going to movies, and then they made no more movies That's for true. older women. Yeah, I, you know, I think, uh, I, I, honestly, the next podcast, which I'm hosting, I, I want to talk about Bridesmaids okay. at length and do a <clears throat> chick flick kind of discussion. Cool. Um, but this I... This is a teaser. I, 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 yeah, I, I agree. I'm, I'm very happy that a bunch of ladies can uh, open big at the box office uh, the movie itself i was uh, less than lukewarm about um but you know i'm all for more movies with women that have a greater appeal to men as well as women and everybody yeah but i i, I ultimately think the this movie itself 
wasn't that. I mean, I I, I, don't I, I was more than lukewarm, but I, I wasn't over the moon with, about it. But what, what's also kind of interesting is that the, the at least the two main stars, um, Kristen Wiig and Maya Rudolph, are in their late 30s also and not particular like sex symbols, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. That, Which I think is actually true. a really good thing. Like, remember that movie, the, the Sweetest Thing came out and, you know, they were both, well, maybe Christine Applegate was in her 30s, but... You know, it was very raunchy and sex-driven, and and uh, it, it's nice just that a movie doesn't have to be about fucking uh, a lady movie. It doesn't have to be about you know maximum cover girl people. Starting. No, I absolutely agree. I mean, I the 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 whole look of the thing is phenomenal. I just yeah. the movie itself because of its because of the choices they made about characters and plot and all i i just there was a lot that i didn't relate to right. so there were a lot of jokes that fell flat for me and and i felt a lot of the judd apatow comic set pieces went on too long like they always do in judd apatow movies i, th- I thought it was guilty of apatowisms yeah which was but you know ultimately i mean if it if it paves the way for some more movies that don't have standard casting yeah standard absolutely male casting absolutely especially in comedies you know i, I just hopefully hope, we'll get something yeah you know i if, just i just hope that the next one or the next bunch uh mm-hmm. get more genuinely edgy and different mm-hmm. as far as what is expected from women's movies or movies about women speaking of edgy speaking of edgy um entertainmentweekly.com my source for entertainment it's my homepage this afternoon while i was preparing for this um has a a really interesting quote from uh, the screenwriters of candyland the the adaptation um of the board children's board game Mm -hmm. that is currently uh underway and um and it's a it's a quote from uh, Jonathan Abel, Abel, however you pronounce his name. Um, he's in working with a partner, same guys who wrote the Kung Fu Panda movies. Oh, the um, Panda movies. And uh, they're working yeah. in Candyland right well, now. The first and and uh, they have a very ambitious uh, take on it. And he says, We envision it as Lord of the Rings, but set in a world of candy. <laughs> <laughs> I'll probably wind up saying it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, the sad thing is that job. that is probably the line that got them the job yeah. when they were when they were pitching themselves for uh, at Warner Brothers or whoever yeah. owns this. It makes no fucking no, sense though. No, no, no. It's it's. I mean, it's and, and there's a, there's is another quote. It says, "Now we don't see it as a movie based on a board game, although it has characters from that world and takes the idea of people finding themselves in a world that happens to be made entirely of candy, where there are huge battles going on." Burger says, and then inhales. Um, we are going for real comedy, real action, and real emotions at stake. Really? I mean, that's, candy I can't believe they're going after real emotions. I believe they're going. Characters. I believe they're both going after new houses. Nobody ever says that about their big, stupid fucking movies. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, just a side note: um, if anybody out there is listening who's interested in these kind of uh, movies, I am doing a. I'm writing a spec script based on the card game Uno right now. <laughs> So you're gonna you're gonna be hearing from call, Uno's voice. Oh, call, I can't wait me. till the pick four big, the big pick four set piece. Oh, the fucking reverse. That's the first act twist, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. it's got to be the first act. Yeah. Twist. Well, yeah, and it's, then it's, and then there's the draw four. I don't. 
that brings act two to a close because yeah. you know, I, I, they, I can't uh, wait for my big medical uh, drama <laughs> based on operation. <laughs> you guys stay away from my tiddlywinks. Uh, oh, oh wait, no, that's all you. Nobody's that's, touching that. Nobody's no, but the, the the water on the knee scene is going to be. <laughs> you guys, tears. All right. I well, can't uh, wait to see the classic. Yeah. That was, I took out his funny bones. That was really, really movies. important movie news. Yeah. I'm glad we covered it. Yeah. I'm glad uh, we got that out to everybody. So now we're going to move on uh, to our theme this week. And uh, this week's theme is graphic violence. Mm, I like that. And which I thought was a nice counterpoint to film nudity from uh, last week. Yes. Uh, so uh, so you were yes-anding uh, an entire yeah. podcast. Yes an entire podcast. I yes-anded an entire podcast. Is that a herald? Because it's been two weeks. It's a long-form improv. I'm that good. We, we just made a herald team. <laughs> God knows LA needs a new one. <laughs> More heralds. Uh, but, uh, and, and just for terms of our discussion, you know, I'm going to define graphic violence as a depiction of vivid, brutal, or realistic acts of violence. So it's opposed to a simple fist fight, um, you know, your classic, like, old western fist fight where you're just punchy, 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 and the guy falls down and it's over. It's, you know, I, I would count something like Rocky, the, the fight scene in Rocky actually as graphic violence. Yeah, yeah, um, sure. Where he gets so, super so which one is, blood, which one is uh, Jim Carrey getting slapped by a farting penguin? This podcast is finished. <laughs> But uh, uh, so the Herald is over. Yeah, no, it's we can't it. It change tar- your name. It was a terrible. We idea. can't change your name to Film Pigs Bang Bang. <laughs> but uh, so yeah, so uh, but but vivid, brutal, realistic acts of violence. So um, so as a as a filmmaking tool, um, graphic violence usually can it's usually used hopefully to to enhance a story, providing emphasis that highlights everything from cartoonish delight, like in like a Total Recall. Where Schwarzenegger uses that poor guy on the escalator as a body shield, and he that just gets was, filled with bullets. That was awesome. Um, uh, to uh, shock and awe, which is essentially the opening of Saving Private Ryan on the uh, Normandy beach. Um, or Candyland, hopefully. Yeah, or yeah, hopefully Candyland. <laughs> yeah. If it's R-rated, uh, <laughs> that'll be the greatest movie of all time. A hard R Candyland. <laughs> it's rated R for graphic violence. And, and candy. And candy. candy. <laughs> 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 so yeah, like the Saving Private Lion, or you know, even the uh, Lord of the Rings movies um, have some pretty graphic, uh, violent elements. And there's fantasy stuff there, but there's a lot of graphic, especially in large battle scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but uh, graphic violence can be used to evoke horror, Silence of the Lambs, and any uh, any number of uh, uh, horror torture movies. porn or tor- yeah. torture porn. Is the only one, like the like you know the saw the saw franchises um hostile uh hostile uh i put that under shock because i also included passion of the christ yeah oh saw yeah that's uh, ultra uh, uh, torture yeah, porn. yeah Tor- basically it's torture, torture porn, porn with um, jesus yeah which is the best kind yeah. of torture porn it's, well it's the prototypical torture <laughs> porn. yeah uh, um <laughs> cold, uh, evoking cold despair uh mm-hmm. in you like a clockwork orange um a dystopian kind of uh view on society mm-hmm. and how uh and how it uses violence against itself um and milk and milk and milk um, american history acts uh, oh um, yes so american yes acts. yeah uh, especially with the milk romper stomper romper stomper sure. but uh and and then graphic violence can be taken to an even an even larger kind of more stylistic level um, by directors, you know, when you look like a John Woo or, you know, to another, uh, you know, to a, a Tarantino or those types of directors mm-hmm. who use who use graphic violence on a more surreal level mm-hmm. where um, the violence is part, becomes really part of the mise-en-scene and part of the, the means by which the characters express themselves. Right. 
Um, so you know, th- this is this is kind of what gra- you know in a you know a, a nutshell what graphic violence in, in film is. And so what I'm interested in is you know what is the role of graphic violence in film? Um, why do we enjoy graphic violence? We specific as, as an audience, or like, as but an we audience. specific, but just why? Why do people go to movies that have graphic violence of these different types? Um, does it really desensitize you? Is you know to real violence? Is more intense graphic violence becoming more acceptable for younger kids, which is kind of a you know an issue? And, and why is that? And finally, why as an American culture, particularly, do we find graphic violence more acceptable than sexuality? These are the things I um, just and, well, well, and discuss. For me, I like to go see mm-hmm. graphic violence. It serves more of a masturbatory, mm-hmm. you know, purpose. No, I agree. For me, I, I mean, mean, for me too. Yeah. Um, no, but uh, I mean, I think like anything, graphic violence has been uh, uh, as as audience as spectacle has been around for you know for de- for centuries well you can centuries. i mean yeah, you can go back to bunyal and and uh and with slicing the eye no but you can, i'm, you can, I'm you even can, saying even, i'm even saying even, literally go you can go back to you know the lady of the tiger or you can go yeah. back to the gladiatorial game oh, yeah yeah exactly yeah. and that yeah, is and, you know and yeah. it, it, it's i i think sort of in philosophical terms it's a way to reaffirm that you're okay that you're alive yeah by watching other people die. I think that's sort of a, a primary purpose of, of watching graphic violence is to, is to A, get that bloodlust, you know, which we all have. It's, it's the, the, the savage. Prim, the kind of primal. The, yeah, the yeah. Pr- primal savage part that, that society, you know, uh, forces us to ignore. And so we get a, a vicarious thrill out of that. But it's also, um, it's a life-affirming thing. It makes you feel better because you don't have to go through that because you're alive. You're witnessing the the extremists, you know, humanity and extremists. And I think that's uh, that. There's something about the human psyche that that is comforting to. Yeah, and that's something you can't get with just a you know cowboy punch a cowboy. Right. You know, without without some you know some actual uh, uh, representation of. What the the damage being done right. to the other body is? Yeah, that's true. I I you know uh, we vlogged um, Rambo, the last Stallone Rambo movie, which was over the top with its its violence yeah. and stuff. And I remember uh, Steve uh, Falk pointing out to you during the movie. Said you, he said, "Look at Todd. He looks like a twelve year old. He's so happy." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's just genuinely happy. And you, with... you had like a like a big stupid grin. <laughs> yeah, it was just <laughs> it was uh, it was sort of a magical thing. But I, I, that, and I can't speak for you know audiences at large because it's kind of a iffy thing. I mean, when you get into mm-hmm. R-rated violence, it's it it doesn't sell as well as PG thirteen violence. But when you get into the hardcore graphic violence, for me, the 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 further you push it, the more excited I am. And I think it, it plays into that sort of animalistic thing of, you know, death is always knocking at the door and, you know, and, and it's just a great release. But also for me, just within the realm of movies, I get excited when somebody pushes any kind of envelope mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. a genuine way. And, and, and violence gets pushed way more often than sexuality does. 
Um, in American cinema, in, in yeah. American cinema, yeah. you know, short bus notwithstanding, it it gener- and uh, Enter the Void, which pushes both envelopes. Right. You know that that stuff is exciting to me, even if I don't necessarily like the movie as a whole. But but then when you get something like Rambo, which is just pure cheap thrills, it has no yeah. art on yeah. its mind whatsoever. It's just a pure action movie, and there's something that's just so viscerally fun about that. Just um, and and for me, it's always, you know, I just, I'm Rambo, you know, I'm in Rambo skin and shooting guys who are bad because they're bad. Full of and it just, hormones. it just feels, yeah. yeah, I'm full and I've got veins and it's exciting, but it's just when, when violence pushes the envelope and in a movie going experience, when it pushes the envelope to the degree it does in Crank, when Crank is a very silly movie, Crank, Crank mm-hmm. 2, very silly movies, and Rambo is, while it takes itself seriously, is ultimately a very silly movie. But when an R-rated movie, and also with the Hostel movies, especially Hostel Part 2, you know, and some of the Saw movies, when it goes way, way overboard, to me, it creates an all-bets-are-off feeling where I don't know what's coming next. You know what I mean? Yeah, and even if it's less, just it doesn't become like a predictable. If, yeah, like, now this now they're gonna kill this guy. Right, right. Like and and, and it's like, not necessarily about simply the plot, you know, and the characters, and and that really what makes a great movie great. It, you can make an okay movie awesome like Rambo by pushing the envelope because then I don't know what's gonna happen next. Who you know? Mm-hmm. I just saw a guy get like blown in half. I wasn't mm-hmm. expecting that. What am I going to see next? You know, and that to me that creates uh, a whole new cinematic experience that I wouldn't have had, especially in a PG thirteen movie. Oh yeah, a, a superhero movie. I, I I don't really. Those are more about the giant CGI monster effects than mm-hmm. they are about. Oh my God! What are they going to do? Or how are they going to assault my senses next? I find that much more exciting. I mean, they they are sort of two different animals though the because rambo while graphic is is kind of cartoonish i mean there's a level of ridiculousness yeah that's true and it's for and but but some of the other movies we mentioned um the more serious movies Mm -hmm. um the silence of the lambs even or the the american history acts or whatever graphic violence then when used sparingly yeah and 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 you know movies where a punch Mm -hmm. Sounds more like it ha- it does in real life, which most audiences would think is fake, because right. they're it does, used yeah. to punches Because it doesn't being sound like a piece of wood slapping that, into a piece of wood. Yeah, exactly. When you have something that actually really feels real, that can be used also for another great effect, and it can be pretty fucking horrifying. Well, that's true. Something that in well, Rambo, the, the, cur- the curb stomp in American History. That's what X I'm saying. So, yeah. Is, some, Something in Rambo that would be like, oh, yeah, or even something that would be like, okay, yeah, more and more killing. Do it better. Mm. Do it bigger in a different context can be fucking horrifying. That's true. And can be just completely, you know, terrible. This this is going to be a really kind of out there point. But we were talking last week as far as nudity and you brought up the puritanical nature of our society a lot. And I feel like, especially in ultraviolent sci-fi movies, there to in the gore itself, there is an element of sexuality, and the terror of sexuality. Uh, a very great example of that is the thing, 
John Carpenter's uh, The Thing. Yeah. So much of that gore is men tearing apart giant bloody things that look like giant vaginas. And I think to a certain degree, there's a level of sexuality in the most ultra of ultra violence. Does that make any uh, sense? Well, yeah. I mean, uh, certainly violence and sexuality are tied together. Mm. Absolutely. I think they both access a very primal part of of us. That's sort of a secret place that we don't really get to access as much. Um, and and you, you can make very specific parallels from violence to sexuality. I mean, a lot, often we use the same words even. Yeah, that's true. Um, to describe what's happening. But... Um, but yeah, I mean that 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 speaks to the the weirdness of of our society where uh, violence is becoming more and more okay for kids to watch, as evidenced by the lax nature of PG thirteen mm-hmm. well, ratings even, when it comes even, to violence. Even the gra- I mean, the graphic the violence graphic. you just see on on TV, on, oh, yeah. on yeah. talk shows. Whereas sexuality, yeah. though, oh no no no, yeah. oh we saw a nipple. Yeah, Ugh. I mean, sexuality is something every human being on the planet. Uh, faces ultraviolence is something a very small part of humanity ever faces and yet we get to watch yeah, that and as, and as the years go on a smaller and smaller number of people are exposed to extreme violence yeah and I, I, I think the you reason know, why hopefully it will continue uh, that hopefully and, and uh, um, I think the reason why is, is that, that it's more taboo is that it's it's not really something any of us can go do but but sexuality ooh it may, may make a 13 year old want to you know give someone a blowjob or something, God forbid, and I think it's completely backwards and and weird. But there's also the concept that ultra violence, especially in torture porn, especially in the horror genre, that somehow inspires real yeah, but life I, I, But I, do, to I do don't things. think the statistics bear out on that. No, but did the, the statistics the, bear out the, on that with well, kids, like? If they see a sexually explicit movie, are they in, more likely in, to in be ter- sexual terms, at a young ter- age? In terms than... of graphic violence, um, you know, that's still like a, a, an area of study. Now, you know, different pundits will, want, will, you know, say, you know, based on, you know, whatever their agenda is. Oh, you know, violent images cause kids to be violent or they don't cause kids to be violent. But... You know, there's I, there haven't been enough studies yet right. to really like, you know, uh, definitively say one way or the other. But there, you know, there there are studies that you know expose kids to violent images, and you know they measure certain responses, mm. and you know they they you know they get elevated uh, responses. I, I think to the participatory stuff. That's anybody that'll happen to anybody. And I, I think actually the participatory nature of of violent video games is actually probably more if there is a factor in actual real life acting out i think yeah. video games probably have a greater well they have number. they they have they have uh, based on studies that have been done have a greater propensity to cause a a larger type of response mm-hmm. to violence but there's not really enough evidence to to say it's going to then cause right, right, right. someone to then commit an actual violent act. I mean, and the thing about sexuality is it's not the same because I think there are still, thank God, um, moral and legal taboos against it that keep people from doing it even if they're exposed to it. Whereas I, I do think being exposed to more and more sexuality, i.e. internet porn, does 
change people's behavior does cause people to replicate that because it's not illegal. That's true. Mm. It, it, and it, people it, don't really believe in God anymore, <clears throat> so they don't have that moral... I don't necessarily <laughs> They're think They're going to be in for a surprise come uh, October. Yeah. October. <laughs> I don't think... Well, this is a totally different podcast, but I don't think pornography necessarily makes people more promiscuous or less promiscuous. It may change your... Mm. How you think That's sex is supposed to be. I think it affects yeah, behavior, yeah, yeah. sexual yeah, yeah, behavior. Yeah, I would agree with that. That seems It mostly seems just solid. eats up a lot of my bandwidth. Yeah. <laughs> my my cock mm. is still wet from the last time. Oh, never mind. Where this is a podcast. Oh my god. Now, just and, and just for one one last question um, that I, I'd like to focus on, just you know, just get a couple things is now in terms of graphic violence as a uh, as a, a an artistic tool to help tell the story or convey an emotion. So it's something that's you know. Not just our visceral response to oh I want to go see Total Recall because right. I'm going to kill a lot of people, yeah. but more in the in the vein of the American History X or Clockwork mm-hmm. Orange, you know how 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 is it used effectively in that respect? Well, I would I mean again to bring up John Carpenter's The Thing, I bring that movie up a lot because it's one of my favorites. But <clears throat> I mean that movie's a movie about men, uh, you know, in an Arctic North. Uh, stuck in a blizzard uh, dealing with something that is taking over all of them and they can't tell who it's taken over and who it hasn't and uh, the the uh, much of the graphic gross icky stuff is has that sexual quality to it so it's almost like this invasion of woman coming into this all-male cast and i think that is in an odd way this thing that creates a sense of dread in in the movie. I mean, I think the gore in that movie is very effective in in that it's men trying to figure out a mystery that is goopy and bloody and wet. Does that make any sense? Is that too disgusting and weird to say? <laughs> I think it's that's a lot too, of too, too, really, too late. It's been recorded. <laughs> yeah, really a lot of what that movie is about is about that, I think. No, but I mean, the, the question, uh, I think it depends on what the story being told is. I think it's, yeah. it's just a, another dab of paint on your storytelling palette. And you, used in the right context, it can be, you know, like The Accused, for instance. Mm-hmm. It can be incredibly effective. Oh, that's true, yeah. Um, and memorable and shocking and, and can really um, help propel a story. Um, and you know that's when it's really uncomfortable to watch, and that's when you feel the the real visceral um, nature of extreme violence. Um, I much prefer the more cartoonish. Uh, fun. Well, yeah, that's Cause, more fun because then you don't it, feel so bad. And then yeah. and then it and then it washes <laughs> off of you. But I mean, it's like uh, audition the movie audition. Oh Jesus! Um, oh, man. I mean that that's what I'm talking about when I say when you push. Uh, the envelope with the gore mm-hmm. and the violence, it creates an all bets are off situation because the first mm-hmm. half of audition is really you're just it's sort of comedic. You're watching yeah, a guy no, watching the take sack. advantage yeah. and, and be kind of a douche and the whole time you're like, I know this is gonna go bad. It's gonna turn so I know bad. this is gonna go this. bad. You're making terrible mistakes, yeah. dude. I can see the morality play here. But when you first see the turn, which isn't you know it's just a guy in a sack you know in a background who rolls across the floor and then the further you get into it you know this woman making her 
you know, bludgeon slave boy, drink vomit out of a bowl and dog bowl. The, the dog bowl. And the and then the torture sequences. Yeah. I mean, the the deeper you get into it, the more all bets are off. It's like you can't imagine it getting worse, and then it gets worse. And that, to me, is part of what if I mean, it's not the main reason. I mean, good characters and storytelling and all that, but that willing to go there makes it more compelling. And I, I, I another good use for it. I think the Final Destination series does it really well. Is create sequences that that are relatable mm. because we've yeah. all been on a roller coaster and have that fear or been on a plane yeah. or yeah. um or in this new one a lot of us have had eye surgery or at least been to an ophthalmologist right right and you know this this new lasik scene oh yeah 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 it's it's pretty visceral yeah. it's pretty yeah. i'm kind of like nervous <clears throat> about seeing that because I think it's going to be really squeamish. Right. But I think that's why it's effective yeah. because... Well, it's, you you it uses real world yeah, situations. Yeah, sticking and your hand down yeah. a... We've all stuck our hand yeah, down, down a garbage disposal. Yeah. yeah. I, <laughs> think, I think that's a, that that series, you know, for all its faults, is it has a really clever sort of um, storytelling engine, which yeah. is preying on real fear. What's the approach that they take to yeah. it is. It's yeah. like, yeah. But it's, also, it's it's not... I mean, they have the concept, and the concept is solid, but then in its execution, they imagine the worst. Yeah. And they do a really good job, for me at least, in most scenarios, of imagining worse than I'd from imagine could imagine yeah, yeah. and but coming from approaching it from a humanistic point of view yeah. not a movie making point right, of view right yeah. right right um, cool okay. well great that's that was graphic violence nice now we're gonna move on we're gonna do a uh, new segment a little, uh, oh we got a little music for it nice oh yeah oh wow Adam Blower buddy woo kick it Adam <laughs> What's it called? It's called Sight Unseen. And this is a new segment where each pig names a movie professional they would hire for a project. Sight Unseen. So no auditions, no screen tests, uh, no meetings. Just picking up the phone call and calling them saying, I, you get your quote and will you come work for this? Come work for me on this project. And then you have 60 seconds to explain why. Um, and this time, the project we are hiring for is an ultra-violent action movie like Robocop, The Expendables, or Crank. Stephen Falk. I immediately pick up the phone and call an actor named uh, David Patrick Kelly. Um, he was uh, notably in the Warriors mm-hmm. as the uh, the <laughs> yeah. antagonist of the Warriors. He he clanged the three beer bottles together and said, <laughs> yeah. Warriors, come, come on, on play. play. And, and oh, yes. He was in Twin at, Peaks. And Dreamscape. Uh, and Dreamscape. Dreamscape, and, yes. And very simply... Yes, Dreamscape. Very simply, I think in ultraviolet movies... The the one of the most important characters are not the big bruisers, not the the uh, violence guys, but the man behind it. And it's the Ted Levines, the Jackie Earl Haley's, who are the most creepy. Or sometimes yeah. they are the purveyor. Sometimes they're the they're the they're the weird uh, they're the weird scary assassin, or it's like you know, or the the pedophile. They're the weird guy. Yeah. And I, I think that's and I think he's criminally underused. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm not calling Ted Levine or Jackie Earl Haley. But I'm calling David Patrick Kelly um, because uh, he immediately brings a really creepy presence to a movie like this. That's awesome. Kelly's uh, my favorite Kelly. He's died a lot of times in his movies. Uh, My favorite Kelly death is the Commando Kelly death. Oh, shit, yes. That one's awesome. Which one is that? He's the guy who... uh, 
uh, Schwarzenegger holds over the cliff. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And he says, remember when I, I said... I told you I'd kill you last. <laughs> yeah, I, I lied. lied. And he lets him go. <laughs> Scientologist Miguel Ferrer is often mm. this character as well. Ferrer is great. And Robocop. Fantastic, yeah. fantastic. Tom? Uh... <clears throat> I'm going to go with the director. I'm going to go nice. with uh, who I've already mentioned in this podcast, Takashi Miike. Mm. Um, he directed uh, The Horrifying Audition, as I mentioned. His uh, Masters of Horror series episode uh, was not aired. It was called Imprint. They refused to air it because it was about <laughs> like abortions floating down a river is one of the Lovely. things that happened. In and uh, and then he's already shown great... Uh, a great propensity for action sequences in his uh, horror revenge uh, hybrid Itchy the Killer. Mm. And more recently, he did a full-on action epic, 13 Assassins. And uh, I'm assuming, I don't, I don't know the... My question to you about this little uh, bit here yeah. is, are these studio pictures that we're talking about? American studio pictures? Well, for, I, I for, for purposes for purposes of the segment, yeah, it's you know let's let it can be anything from a little indie picture to a large budget. Um, it's well, just the genre of if, the type of pictures. If he was, I would love to see him imported to the United States, given uh, and uh, ruined. Yeah. Well, no, but this <laughs> is what I'm saying. Just like we this, did to John. This, this is what I'm saying. But that's exactly <laughs> what I'm saying. As long as they don't cut off his balls, like the studio system did to yeah, John yeah. Woo, and they give him a sizable budget, I'm not asking well, for no, three hundred million dollars. The, the purpose of the game. It's you're in charge of the production, and you have sixty right. seconds. Right. So I, I'm done. <laughs> Anyway, that that's what I had to say. I mean, I mean, seriously, his his shock movies are are also art movies. Yeah, and I think that would All be right. awesome. awesome to see. My uh, my immediate hire is also an actor, also a main bad guy, uh, behind the scenes type of guy, Ben Gazzara. Ah. Uh, and and really, I could go through his resume, but what's the point? Yeah. Um, but what what solidified him as my choice was just the other night I couldn't sleep because I was uh, had a cold and was uh, sick, and of course Roadhouse was on in the middle of the night. Ah. Mm, nice. And I know I've seen that movie a hundred times, but for some reason this time all I focused on was Ben Gazzara and his <laughs> performance as Brad Wesley, the rich asshole who owns most of the town and sends his thugs around to do his bidding. Yeah. That's basically all he is on the page. Um, he's a generic villain, but like, Gaz like Gazara, like infuses this guy with such an like such like an intense kind of shark like um, uh, determination to just dominate this shitty little town for no reason. <laughs> yeah. um, it, but it's his empire, and, and he has this fanatical response to Patrick Swayze, who's just fucking up his plans. And, you know, so he elevates this kind of B-movie villain in this stupid circumstance. Cause, I mean, it's like he owns the mini-mall, so he's above the law. It makes no sense. <laughs> but he gives him such, like, this cold menace and, and, and intelligence mm -hmm. to, to what he's doing and how he's dealing with all his minions that he's, like, he's like such a good threat in that movie that I just, that's... Ben Gazzara. Love that guy. Love it. That's all right. awesome. That was, uh, that was Sight Unseen. Now we're moving on to... Movie Jail! Movie Jail is a segment where uh, we put a cinema professional, uh, movie professional, on trial for crimes against cinema. If they're found guilty and all uh, accused are assumed innocent until proven guilty by our arbitrary rules. <laughs> uh, but once they're found guilty, they are remanded to the Robert De Niro uh, Maximum Security Federal Penitentiary where they will serve out their sentence without uh, appeal. 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they do. We we were talking about having appeals. Yeah, well, not we, but not yet. No. This week, Stephen Falk. So I stand before you uh, with my <laughs> defendant, who is uh, as the minute he enters into the courtroom, it's going to draw. Um, there's going to be some questions uh, here, um, and I, I do love this person, but they they need to go away for a while, and so thus I bring you. Um, his born name is uh, Nicholas Kim Coppola. Oh. Uh, goes by the um, his IMDb name uh, Nicholas K. <laughs> I'm going to allow <laughs> this. You're putting it. Oh, okay. Wow. All right. Uh, yeah. uh, let's, okay. Let's. This is a surprise. Yeah, yeah. I, I just, I had to go here. He was born in '64. He's appeared in over 60 movies, um, which is way too many. And he started <laughs> off at a very early age. Um, he was in Fast Times with his own given name, and he went on to um, Valley Girl and Rumblefish and Racing the Moon. He did some the Birdie. He did some, you know, movies that were real sort of holdovers from the auteur period. You know, he came from the Coppola family, and and you know, and those are those are actually the Cotton Club. Those are some. Flawed, but solid movies. You know, not big budget things, not um, interesting little characters. And he, and he, and he made, a, uh, made a big splash in them. And then he did uh, Peggy Sue Got Married, mm. which, was, um, which was really when he started to flex his weird wings. <laughs> when he started to say, this is a very normal role. I'm going to do something fucking crazy with it. And boy, he did. He, the studio <laughs> fucking hated him. Um, but he stands out, you know, as as uh, in the very sort of standard um, high school uh, romance uh, from the fifties character. Um, then it all came together. His sort of his his previous work with with great directors and his weirdness. It all came together when he was, and I was fucking shocked to find this out. Twenty two years old. And was tapped for the lead in Raising Arizona. Holy shit. By the Coen Brothers. That guy was 22. Holy shit. When he did that movie. Um, just a sublime movie. Uh, one of the probably 10 best comedies of all time. Um, and he just and he killed it. And from there he went and did some... He really was, you know, again, flexing his weird muscle. He did some interesting work in some good movies like Moonstruck. This is like Vampire's Kiss, Wild at Heart. Um, Zandali, which is actually not bad. And then then I guess he decided, or Hollywood decided, that, oh, we have a vacuum for, and this is in the 90s, for a big comedy um, guy. A big, stupid studio Hollywood comedy guy. So he started doing movies like Honeymoon in Vegas, mm. and, and It Could Happen to You, and Amos and Andrew, oh, and oh, Trapped God. in Paradise with John Lovitz. Oh, oh. oh. Guarding oh, Tess with, with the that. aforementioned Shirley MacLaine. Oh. And it was a pretty bad, I, I, that's a pretty dark period for him. But his star was was hugely on the rise. He was incredibly, you know, made a lot of money in that period. And then he did a little movie called Kiss of Death with uh, playing the bad guy. Oh, Jesus Lord. Da- David Caruso, who oh was the romantic guy. <laughs> that whole Holy movie just came flooding back in my head. Where he played this, this sort of... Uh, White suit wearing kind of Armenian yeah, gangster. Yeah, it wasn't like Tom Sizemore in that. And Probably a bunch of, like a bunch of. Wasn't that the movie that Caruso quit fucking NYPD Blue to do? I think that was Jude. No, Jade. 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 Anyway, so uh, so he did that, and and you could see he was sort of then Hollywood was like, oh, maybe he can be in action movies and not comedies. <laughs> maybe he's too weird. Maybe he's bulked up enough. Maybe he's losing his hair. Maybe he's not that guy. 
And then he uh, then he went and did um, Leaving Las Vegas and won the Oscar at 32. <clears throat> Um, oh became the fifth youngest. Uh, he was thirty two when he made that. Right, he doesn't he seem like he's older yeah. than us. I didn't like, realize he was that fucking name. young. And yeah, and, and how amazing. old is he now? Twenty uh, two. <laughs> uh, right now, I think he's forty eight. I would, I would. My math wow. is not great. I'm a failure. Forty seven. <laughs> I'm a fucking failure. But he won the Oscar for that, and then he was like, "Fuck it, now I'm an action guy," and he went and did some good schlocky movies like The Rock. Con Air, Face Off. Face Off! off. And then what is his major downfall for me started kicking in. And that's a two-pronged downfall. Inability to judge material properly. (laughs) And a penchant for doing everything that his agents thrust at him. Because then he went on to do Snake Eyes, 8mm, oh. oh. Gone in 60 Seconds, Wind oh. Talkers. Oh! oh. oh. Tried to him. stretch back and do a Brett Ratner uh, a dramedy called Family Man. <laughs> um, and then, and then <laughs> somehow another piece of good material crossed his path, Adaptation, mm-hmm. in which he was stellar. He played two yeah. characters. Mm. And he was phenomenal. He was absolutely great. And then he was sort of stuck in this weird middle period where he was kind of trying to do both at the same time, like Matchstick Men and Lord of Lord War, War. And, and then the PG National Treasure, which became like one of his only franchises what about, he uh, ever got. Uh, and then he did The Weatherman, Weatherman. which he yeah. tried again, he tried to act again. He took this really interesting script, which is, is actually a good script, and it made an okay movie. Um, and then he went into, then he just lost his mind. He married uh, Elvis Presley's daughter uh, <laughs> and just went into a free fall of just saying yes to everything. And that there you get Wicker Man, <laughs> Not the Bangkok <laughs> Dangerous, Ghost Rider, Knowing. Uh, no Woman! No uh, Woman! Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, a lot of, yeah. uh, Port of Call, <laughs> New Orleans. So awesome. Why are we putting him in prison? Sorcerer's Apprentice, Drive Angry 3D. I like Sorcerer's Apprentice. Did you see it? No, I it didn't. It was actually It's okay. in a museum. And at that point, well, he has good, basically turned okay. himself into a cinematic joke. A love joke, but a joke. And I think Nick Cage deserves more than to be a joke. He deserves... And, and uh, next up... It doesn't look like it's getting any better, which is why I think he needs some time out. Wait, was that the title of his next movie? <laughs> it doesn't look like it's getting any better. He needs time out. His next movie is with Joel Schumacher. Ooh. Then he's doing a movie uh, called The Hungry Rabbit Jumps with January Jones and Guy Pierce. <laughs> what the fuck is that? I don't know. And then he's doing Ghost Rider, and then Ghost Rider 2. And then he's doing a Simon West movie. Described as a former thief frantically searches for his missing daughter who's been kidnapped and locked in the trunk of a taxi. <laughs> That's taken too. And uh, and this is why, for, for you know, most of those movies, <clears throat> I think it is why he needs to be um, put in movie jail. I, uh, I'd like to put him in the maximum minimum security wing for a year. I'd like to bring him up for parole in a year. But here's what, like... Nick Cage is so endlessly talented, mm. probably more than anyone we've we've put on trial for. I mean, De Niro, arguably, but even in but De Niro sleepwalks through movies. Nick Cage, even in mm. even in his worst movies, is fucking there. He's fucking committed. He is just not doing good movies, <laughs> and I think this is a problem. He needs so he's the the, the main issue with him. He's he's diluting his brand. And it could be an amazing brand. He's a he's an actor with 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 just 
boundless talent and he's fucking it up and he's making himself not special. It's not special when a Nick Cage movie is coming out. It's become a joke. And it, it, they're not A-list. He's not A-list anymore. The movies he's getting, he's not working with A-list directors. Um, he could be having, you know, he could be doing, a, like, do, he could have Denzel Washington's career. Or even fucking uh, Travolta's career, sad as it sounds. By Denzel Washington's career, you mean he could do a lot of movies where he sits on trains? Mm-hmm. <laughs> But, you know, I, he could, uh, he, I, I think, here's what he needs to do. I'd like to take him out of the game for a while. I don't want him to lose his weirdness. I just think he needs time to regroup. I think he needs to lay off the sauce, get his finances in order, because I think that's, I, I'm, I'm hypothesizing, but I think that's, <laughs> that's contributing to a lot of his bad, yeah, bad choices. Yeah, I think that's a big deal. His right. problem was... What big movie stars can't afford are those obelisks? Um, I, I think he needs to lay off the sauce. I think he needs to get new reps who have a game plan. I think he needs smart reps who sit him down and go, we need to rebuild the Nicolas Cage brand. We need to rebuild. You're a fucking Oscar winner, dude. You're a, you can do anything. You can do comedy. You can do straight drama. You can do action. Yeah. And we need to find the right projects. We need to be very careful. We need to start, have a very sort of three-pronged, very targeted approach. And we need to make your career happen again. And you need to stop buying mansions. And we need to, we need to figure out the hair situation. If you, know, <laughs> uh, if you need to do a Bruce the Willis and shave it off, if you need to. Um, but but there's, there, I mean, the, the hair pieces alone mm. just show that he's gone completely yeah. nuts. He's not even, his movies aren't even getting good hair people anymore. <laughs> and, and it's bad. He's damaged himself and he's nearly at the point of being completely a joke. And I think, I, I think he deserves a lot better. Uh, so that's why I would like, uh, that's why I think um, I'm going to rest my case and, and put it to the jury. Well, I think that's actually, it's a really interesting case because, I mean, he uh, he is, you know, he is uh, on the verge of uh, a De Niro-esque collapse, you know, into an acting black hole. Yeah, but he, but, but Steve put it best. It, 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 he has not started phoning it in. Yes. Even even mm-hmm. in uh, and you guys haven't seen Drive Angry and Season of the Witch, am I right? Right. So I've seen both yeah. these movies. Yeah. Season of the Witch is the closest he's come to phoning it in, uh, but he wasn't. Um, one of the things I liked about Sorcerer's Apprentice, not a great movie, no. uh, but an okay fantasy picture. One of the things I liked about that movie was his performance. Yeah. Because I thought he was enjoying the shit yeah, out of it. It was kind of like a by-the-numbers kind of like family action movie. But he, but he was enjoying himself. But he had a good time. And I, I and saw... And Alfred Molina, but they were kind of good yeah. foils for you. They were good with, mm-hmm. you know, as good as he can get in that kind of flat movie. Yeah, but it's not, it's not, yeah. he doesn't deserve that movie. I didn't even know if it had come out yet. I was like, oh yeah, that right. movie. And I looked, right. it was 2010. Right. And he, he was deserves... very, he was very passionate about that movie. He deserves better. But he was passionate that's fine. about that movie. That's fine, but it's the wrong movie to be passionate about. Well, that's true. Um, I don't know. What, what, what's your feeling on this? I, I you know, I, I, I'm, I'm willing to send him to minimum security. Don't just, forget, just to... I, where Downey is. Yeah. We put Downey there. Yeah. And we like Downey, and he's inc- endlessly talented as well. Yeah. I, but I think Cage that's is the a, drunk is tank. It, yeah. That's not minimum. We put Downey very specifically in a drunk tank. Not in minimum security, not in right. maximum security. He's been in the drunk, drunk tank, tank for a while. <laughs> I, 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 I think he needs more than the drunk tank. Because See, he's, the, he's he been does, thrown in the drunk tank does, before. I mean, Cage does need to kind of like... Like, Downey has like d- been douchey lately, but he's got his career in order. Nick Cage needs a year off. He needs to not be in a movie. 
for a year. Yeah. All right. Here's what I'm willing to do. Here's what I'm willing to do. I'm going I'm to willing, I'm willing. I'm willing to put Cage because here's the thing: is I in a lot of cases I enjoy Nick Cage's bad movies. I know. No, that's, I do too. But you but, have to think about uh, him. I'm thinking think about, about him. What's think about yourself. But, I, for the I, I, but this is this is the thing: is I don't know that prison is the right thing for him. So here's what I'm willing to do. Here's what I'm willing to do for Nick Cage. We'll put him. We'll leave him. Free, a free man on parole. But the real problem is, is Nick Cage is a crazy person and a lot of great actors are crazy people yeah. and they need good handlers. I think the people that really need to be thrown in the clink and maximum security are his handlers, not Nick Cage himself. No, because he's the ultimate, he, he ultimately says yes or no. I don't think that's... I think that's putting blame on the wrong people. I think he needs new ones. But he's the one saying yes. He, Maybe... Can we make... Can we put him... Can we create a new section of the jail that's like... Uh, the like, Nick Cage play yard? <laughs> the personal finance tank? <laughs> or, you know, because I mean... Uh, okay. A lot of the reason he takes a lot of these shit movies is because he's got no money. Because he pissed it all away. I feel like as a juror I'm being pressured here, but I'm willing to put him in the drunk tank. Let's put him in the drunk tank with Downey Jr. I'm willing to do that. At great sacrifice to me. <laughs> Because it's about, because, it's about, yeah. it's about Nick Cage. Because no, it's about me. No, it's not. All right, but fine. But I think mm. the drunk tank is okay because I don't think Downey Jr. is in there for different reasons. Downey Jr. is in there for being a full of himself corporate horror. I think. <laughs> Whereas Nick Cage is a guy who still, while make he makes terrible choices, seems at least in the moment. Of what he's doing to be focused and enjoy the work and be trying... He's trying to do something. You know what I mean? As opposed to just celebrating himself. So, I'll put him in the drunk tank. I'm willing to put him in the drunk tank. Drunk tank it is. Nicholas Cage, you've been remanded <laughs> to the drunk tank for a period of one year in which we will reassess and, uh, and get your house in order. But you will we have the you. opportunity to take some classes. And don't let Downey fuck you up the yeah, butt. Don't, don't yeah, talk don't, to Downey. Yeah. And Nick, just so you know, I am going to buy both Drive Angry and Season of the Witch on Blu-ray when they're available. And, here, and here, here's one for you, pal. <laughs> I'm in jail. I'm in jail. I'm in the drug Robert Downey! Robert Downey! That's right. Put it in. That's right. It's time for the Nick Cage Memorial Bazaar line reading, uh, where we uh, pick a single line reading from some movie with some actor who says something weird. Todd. <laughs> okay, thank you for that lead in. That was so general. Uh, all right. <laughs> so, okay. So this is uh, from a uh, 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 little-known mm -hmm. movie from the 1980s. Most people didn't see it. It's called Romancing the Stone. Uh, it starred Michael Douglas and Kathleen Turner or some people like that. So this is a line reading from an actor named Zach Norman. He played Cousin Ira, who is Danny DeVito's cousin in the movie. Throughout the film, he always says uh, he's got a collection of, of gators in on his boat. And he, 
throws meat at them and he says look at those snappers will you and and that that like he says that at least four times in the movie and it and until the end where he's looking at them because they're going to kill him and he says look at those snappers will you (laughs) but my favorite line that he reads in the movie is this one where uh joan wilder played by kathleen turner is delivering him a treasure map in exchange for her kidnapped sister that he has kidnapped so uh here here it is here it is here's the moment in audio form if this isn't genuine if you've pulled a fast one he's now inspecting the map I just love I love that line reading because it's 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 like silly sort of vaudevillian comedy. The turnaround of it is I'm gonna kill you and you, but no, you can go. But then he still does the evil. Yeah, then he just laughs his ass off. It's it's awesome. It's very confusing, and also it's that his line reading is perfectly scored. And I don't know if his line reading it was uh, uh, Zemeckis, right, who directed *Romancing the Stone*. I don't know if he was directing him to do that, but whatever it is, it's one. It's one of those lines that throughout my life has stuck in my head. I will turn to my wife arbitrarily and say, <laughs> "Joan Wilder, you and your sister can go." It just uh, tickles me. Oh, well, all right. Next, we have. That's right. It's it's Tom Slingdog's DVD corner with Tom Slingdog. Straight to DVD corner. Yeah, straight Straight to to DVD DVD corner. Very important. Uh, Direct to DVD uh, corner. Uh, This podcast, I'm going to discuss a film called Iborgs. (laughs) Can you could, could. Could you use it and said this? Could, could, could I spell origin? Yes. Can you spell it? Uh, yes. E y e b o r g s. Such a in a sentence. Okay, here it is in a sentence. What is that little robot thing over there that's watching us? Oh, it's an iborg. How how does that did that work for Good you? Job. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to pose this question to you guys based on the title. What do you think Iborgs is about, Stephen Falk? Uh, well, now that I know that it's spelled like that, not I-Borg, uh, which I, I thought would be if I was turned into a, a cyborg. Or some kind of, right, some kind right, of homicidal saying. Apple yeah, robot. Yeah, I think it's going to be about uh, cyborgs that someone create that uh, then you can put a human eye into it and that person can see through the robot. and. Better movie? Yeah. What do you think, Steve Skelton? Um, I would just think it's a movie about uh, little robot eyes. That's closer to the truth. His is a better sci-fi yeah. movie, but yeah. yours is closer to the truth. Okay, this is currently streaming on Netflix. What it is is a mashup of uh, The Terminator, 
Runaway and Chopping Mall. I don't know if you ever saw Chopping Mall about the yeah, the, the security. security mall shit, I'm robots. pitching a movie that I use those three. As <laughs> <laughs> You're fucked. No, I'm sure your movie's much better. Cause that that actually sounds all right to me. Um, so the eyebar the eyeborgs uh, are robots. Uh, they, they they have varying sizes. Uh, they all have spidery legs and large eyeball like cameras. Okay, and they exist because the president of the country in the movie, which I assume is the United States, even though that's not specifically said, has Keith David. No, it's not some arbitrary guy. I think there's a lot awesome. of. I think maybe it was a Canadian movie, but I couldn't find well, that out here. on the internet. Uh, but he has instated what it is called the Freedom of Observation Act, which uh, means that personal privacy Follow? is now uh, completely obsolete, and uh, <laughs> it, it, and it's in the interest of protecting citizens from terrorism, of course, and uh, just you know, and just regular crimes. Um, so th there's robots, these little tiny robots with legs, and camera. Uh, they, they all have balls. It's legs and balls. Uh, they should have called like them ballborgs. Ballborgs. Uh, but the eyes are cameras, and the, they're everywhere. Right. And there's different There's big ones, really huge ones, and there's little tiny ones, and they're everywhere. So they record everything. We're being watched. We're being watched yeah. constantly. It. It's some kind of Orwellian nightmare society. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. So, uh, there's an underground movement uh, to assassinate the president of and course. restore personal freedom and privacy. Uh, Danny Trejo is one of the major players involved in the movement. And I just want to say that Danny Trejo in this uh, movie is quite, quite wonderful. Please don't hurt me, Danny Trejo. Uh, so, the, the main character in the movie is the president's nephew, who's uh, a ne'er-do-well rocker, young rocker. Um, Matthew Lillard. Uh, unfortunately, no. Um, but he finds himself embroiled in the underground movement because certain things come to light, and he realizes, you know, that the, the, all these eyeborgs are a bad thing. <laughs> and then there's a cop involved who used to champion the eyeborgs because they helped him uh, root out the killer of his wife and child. Um, who now has misgivings about the Iborgs because of an intrepid blonde Milfie reporter who's... Uh, Patricia Heaton. No, but someone who looks like her. Uh. Like the Canadian. Is she already Canadian? <laughs> I don't, I don't sure. know. But the sort of, yeah, that's what they're uh, invoking, ev evoking, whatever that word is. Um, so there are a lot of twists and turns in the plot. Um, including a huge reveal at the end, but I'm not going to spoil any of this because it's not really worth talking about. <laughs> the, the acting in this movie, uh, for me anyway, was a special new brand of bad acting. Okay? There's uh, bad acting that is phoning it in. We've talked about Robert De Niro phoning it in. Bad acting. And then there is uh, incompetent bad acting. You know, awesome bad acting like in Troll 2. Troll two. Yeah. Right. Um, this movie is the bad acting. It's I think they're probably bad actors, but it's impossible to tell because most of them seem really uncomfortable with what they're doing. Do you know what I mean? It's 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 as if they're accidentally signed on to do child pornography. Or something. <laughs> they just seem uncomfortable. Um, the Iborgs themselves are uh, they're all right. 
you know, the CGI is pretty, pretty uh, low rent, but there's a lot of Iborgs there in every scene. They're always around, you know, hanging off of ceilings and trees, and they're everywhere. Um, this video surveillance footage that you see, because often characters have to piece things together, and somehow they get the footage from the Iborgs, and they, and they look at the footage, and the footage looks exactly like the rest of the movie. Scenes you've seen before. So they shot the movie with eyeborgs? Somehow. I don't know. It's it's mm. weird. I, I have this I've noticed the same thing on the Hawaii Five O TV show. They they have a lot of surveillance footage on that show. Right. And when when you they watch it together as a team, it looks exactly like the action sequence you just saw. So this is the same thing but without the budget. Um, so that's that's interesting. Um, and then, uh, there's not a lot of gore, but, uh, uh, Trejo does get drilled in the head, uh, which is okay. Um, but really I think the movie needed to go over the top, do a RoboCop thing, even on a low budget. If they'd at least tried, I would have been more amused. It made the eyeboards like pervs that, you know, that watch Yeah, sacks. yeah, Perv, exactly. Yeah, that's another, that's a great point. Yeah, that's a I'll great point. That. Uh, the one sequence that really stuck with me that I enjoyed was at one point the cop for various reasons keeps uh, disclosing classified information to various characters <laughs> and he always does it, it, it where there is running water because the Iborgs despite their advanced technology can't record sound if there's running water around sure it's, yeah, it's so a commonly he, known Iborg flaw constantly is having com conversations near water fountains and then this one scene where he's telling the young rocker nephew of the president some information takes place in a car wash and I, this movie I guess is in the near future it's sort of dystopian uh, I, I suppose um, they it's in a car wash and they're talking and out and it, it looks like one of those car washes you move through it's not a hand wash car wash yeah. which you could go through with the giant machines yeah and in the car wash with the giant machines are a bunch of chicks models with tight uh midriff t-shirts that are getting soaked and they're see-through and they're just scrubbing the car <laughs> with sponges and getting suds on themselves and laughing while they're uh, disclosing important information. That sounds like and an for awesome me, car wash. I, I thought that would be a good car wash to actually uh, start. I think that car wash should exist. So that was the one idea that I thought was really important nice. that came out of so that's uh, your takeaway from Iborgs. <laughs> also, also the title Iborgs. That's a good title. <laughs> I like saying Iborgs. It's funny. It's not good. Well, ultimately, that was my main problem with the movie. The movie... What was funny and it, not good. It should, it should have been very silly, given its title, but it took itself very seriously, and it seemed to be making a rather obvious political statement. Mm. Um, but half the time, I wasn't sure if it was either you know, a left-wing conspiracy theorist who is just an incompetent filmmaker trying to make an important point, or if it was a right-winger who is really smart trying to make fun of left-wing conspiracies. It, it's impossible to know. Well, speaking of a good science fiction robot movie, it's time for a cold reading. Nice. Oh, nice. From Robocop. Get the fuck out! Excellent. Absolutely. I will not get the fuck out. Because <laughs> we have to do this cold reading. 
All right. And we're going we're doing a cold reading, and it's going to be a conversation between the two main bad guys. Did the iBorgs print that yeah, out? Yeah, no, it's the iBorgs got into my computer, <laughs> and I was running out of, uh, they took all my toner. So, uh, so we're, we're going to be doing a... Uh, it looks like it's printed out by the War Games <laughs> dot matrix computer. Shall we do a cold reading? So I need uh, Stephen Falk. You will be Dick Jones. Okay. Uh, the uh, OCP vice president. Sure. Oh, Ronnie Cox. And Ronnie, Ronnie Cox. Cox, played by the, the wonderful Ronnie Cox. Tonight uh, you are Cox. And uh, Todd, um, you will be uh, Clarence Bodker. Oh, nice. The henchman. And uh, this is the... the uh, Kurtwood Smith. The Kurtwood Smith henchman. So I will uh, read uh, stage directions as necessary. Kurtwood's another mm-hmm. one for that, that slot yeah. that we... Uh, uh, side unseen. Yeah. yeah, just yeah. Call Kurtwood him Smith is great. It's always good. Interior, Dick Jones' office. Jones sits at his desk looking out over the city. He holds the CompuMap card. The red light pulses on the edge of the screen. Still, Clarence enters, humming. Hey, Dickie boy. Some decorator you got around here. Clarence makes himself at home, dumping chunks of cocaine on Jones' rosewood desk. I miss the 80s. (laughs) Cramming gum in his mouth. (laughs) Crushing coke with Jones' letter opener. Cramming coke in his nose. Jones spins around in his chair. The uh, police officer who arrested you, the one who you spilled your guts to, you have to kill him. You really screwed up, you know. Hey, pal, I've come through for you whenever you needed a favor. All I ever asked in return was a guarantee of no jail. He was taking me to jail. He's a cyborg, you idiot. He recorded every word you said. His memory is admissible as evidence. You involved me. You may have damaged me. Well, listen, chief. You wanted dead cops so you could sell your robot? Now I gotta deal with this fucking thing. I don't have time for this bullshit. Now, now hold on. I didn't say I wouldn't be, wouldn't be worth your while. Delta City begins construction in two months. Two million workers living in trailers. Many of them will become city residents. Drugs, gambling, prostitution. Virgin territory for the man who knows how to open up new markets. One man could control it all. You. Jones tosses the CompuMap card on his desktop. Clarence takes two deliberate hits of crack. Well, I guess we're going to be friends after all, Dick. You got access to military weaponry? Of course. We practically are the military. (laughs) 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 Give me some crack! You guys just like chew. if there was any scenery here, it would be all thoroughly chewed. Uh, but it, my recollection of that scene was that yeah. one, it, it was two awesome character yeah. actors chewing the scenery. That was fun. Paul Verhoeven couldn't communicate subtle. Verhoeven really enjoys ellipses. <laughs> oh, oh I gotta time. go watch this movie immediately. Yeah, I yeah, haven't seen it. I'm fucking love it. Movie. All right, next we have some fun and games. Oh, games. Oops. I need another beer for the game. That's right, it's time to play Incomplete Synopsis. <laughs> it's a game where we take movie synopses from IMDb, leave out important elements, and force contestants to guess the movie. You get 10 points for each correct answer screamed out as quickly as possible, 100 points possible. In the event of a tie, the winner will be determined by a Top Gun style greasy volleyball match. Yay! Mm. So, this is how we're gonna do it I'm going to read the synopsis. 
the words that get left out, I will just say blank. Now, the number of blanks correspond to the actual number of words I'm leaving out. As soon as you think you know what the uh, what the uh, uh, movie is, just go ahead and scream it out. Okay. Uh, and uh, I will record the points. Are we ready to play? Yeah, let's no, do it. Number one, uh, there's just ten. There's only ten. Okay. Number one, blank leaves his home planet, teams up with other rebels, and tries to save blank from the evil clutches of blank. Star Wars. Oh, Ten wow. points for not for Todd for Falk. Number two, set in unoccupied blank during the early days of blank, an American blank meets a former lover with unforeseen complications. Casablanca. Casablanca oh, is I was about right. To say Casablanca. Wow. Ten points for Falk. Wow, I'm getting my ass kicked. Number three, a blank Scottish blank must confront the last of Braveheart? his blank. No, oh. last of his blank opponent. A murderously brutal barbarian who lusts for the fabled blank. Oh, oh, oh. Ten wait, points wait, no, for hold time. on. I thought, oh, I didn't know you could just yell at it. Okay. I was under the assumption if you yell out incorrect, oh, that's... then the other guy gets to you hear the You just said yell out when you know it, right? I did just say yell, but it's, it's, a, it's a valid point. It's a valid you point. You can't just yell every Scottish movie. Otherwise, it's a, I'm just that's saying true. it's a flawed All right, flawed well, we'll give him the 10 points for that, and then you get a guess. You get one guess. Yeah, that's why you got to wait and be sure. All right, all right. So everybody's happy. Bing. Number four. <laughs> you already have 20. Number four. Blank and blank have known each other for years and are very good blank, but they fear blank would ruin the blank. When Harry met Sally. When Harry met Sally. Oh, Jesus Ten Christ. points. I'm not good at this game. Number five. Blank is forced to battle mercenaries who seize control of Anne Blank's communications and threaten to cause blank crashes if their demands are not met. Uh, Die Hard 2, Die Harder? Die Hard 2, Die Harder is correct. Well done. Number six. An unemployed blank with a reputation for being difficult disguises himself as a blank to get a role in a blank blank. Tootsie. Tootsie is correct. Holy shit, I would have no idea what that was. (laughs) (laughs) Number seven. A private detective takes on a case that involves them with three eccentric criminals, a gorgeous liar, and their quest for a priceless blank. Can you repeat the the clip? I can. A private detective takes on a case that involves him with three eccentric criminals, a gorgeous liar, and their quest for a priceless blank. A private eye. Private eye. Big Trouble in Little China? Wrong. I don't know. That was my best guess. The Maltese Falcon. We Ah, were looking for the Maltese Falcon. I was going to guess that. Number eight. A former blank, now blank, is the only person who can stop a gang of terrorists when they seize control of a U.S. blank blank. Under Siege? Under Siege is correct. Nice. Number nine. A coming-of-age story about a blank blank in 1960s suburban blank and how her life changes with the arrival of a blank nearly twice her age. Uh, Can you repeat it? A coming-of-age story about a blank blank in 1960s suburban blank and how her life changes with the arrival of a blank nearly twice her age. Uh, I'm not good with coming of age stories. 
the ice storm? Incorrect. An education. We were looking for uh, an education. Oh, an education. Final, final one. Number final 10. One. Right. An officially dead blank is trained to become an extraordinarily unique blank. Robocop. Wrong. Fuck. In service of the U.S. blank. Say it again. An officially dead blank is trained to become an extraordinarily unique blank in service of the U.S. blank. <laughs> How is that not Robocop? Uh, it's not. Uh, but it is. <laughs> it is, but it isn't. Uh, Universal Soldier? Incorrect. Remo Williams, The Adventure Begins, oh, is what we are looking for. Remo Williams, The Adventure Ooh, nice. Begins. Final score, Stephen Falk, 40. Todd, 30. Nice. Well done, Mr. Falk. I like that game. That's fun. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> now it's time for the bottom five. And this week, this episode, bottom five, attempts to use graphic violence for emotional impact. Number one, 300. Number two, <laughs> controversial but natural-born killers. Oh, I hate that movie. Uh, number three, Inglorious Bastards. Oh, fuck that. <laughs> and, and I have a double bill for the last two. Number four, The Punisher, the Thomas Jane one. I like The Punisher! It but that has nothing to do with whether you use graphic violence to uh, achieve emotional impact. And number five, Punisher Warzone. I like Ray Punisher Stevenson. Warzone. Again, it has nothing to do and with And I that. like The Punisher with Dolph Lundgren and fuck everybody it who wasn't does. A, it wasn't uh, quantitative. No, I want to no. fight. I want to get in a fight. All well, right, but not but, when you hear this. Yeah. Oh. Uh, right. There's no fighting now. It's time for a moment of positivity. And my moment of positivity is for Sylvester Stallone, who has reinvented his career by going back to the basics of classic 80s action movies with clear-cut bad guys and heaps and heaps of inappropriate graphic violence. Yay, Sly! <laughs> Good for you for finally realizing after all these years exactly what you are. And that's it for this episode of the Olympics Podcast. I'm Steve Skelton. I'm Stephen Falk. I'm Todd Anderson. And as always, thank you to Adam Blau for the fabulous music that makes us sound awesome. And until next time, which, you know, will be in a couple weeks, uh, you know, just wait. <laughs> Or uh, try to up that stat of, uh, of extreme violence in movies not having any impact in real world. <laughs> oh, hey, and everybody, uh, just, uh, we don't get paid to do this, so feel free to post something nice about us for Where? our egos. Yeah. Where? At filmpigs.com. Filmpigs.com. You can oh, also okay. find or our on podcast our, on a, iTunes. Do a review on iTunes. Or if you don't like us, if somebody said, hey, listen to the Film Pigs, and you listen to us, you're like, what a bunch of assholes. Put that up, just yeah. so we know that people are listening. That, that's all. We're not asking for money. No. No, we just want a little bit no, of... Little we know we won't get any. We want a little bit of feedback. <laughs> <We just> feedback. <laughs> Is that what we're asking for? All right, feedback. That's nice. Simple human acknowledgement. All right, that's what everyone needs, people. Thank you.